The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. What a great song that was, wasn't it? What a great way to kind of conclude that and even have a little teachable moment there. Um, But our worship is not dependent upon... uh, uh, amplification and all those things, but we can still praise the Lord uh, despite that. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible, just stick up your hand and our ushers will get you one of those. If you don't have sermon notes as well to help you as you go through it, just uh, pop your hand up and they will get you one of those. Um, Also, I just want to draw to your attention and the inside aisles and on the outside aisles are our connection books. And so if you haven't taken those yet, I would just ask that who's ever closest to it, grab it. uh, Fill out your information there to let us know you're here. Uh, Mark, if you want any information, on there. But most importantly, at the very bottom, there's a place to put a prayer request. When you, after you've written those things, just uh, tear it off and you can uh, slide it in the flap on the other side. But what that does is that helps me pray for you. Uh, We take that very seriously. Uh, We believe firmly in the power of prayer. And so if I can partner with you in that way, fill that out, put that in there. And uh, it's totally confidential. At the end, the ushers will gather and give it to me. But they, uh, they just make their way here through the sermon. Uh, If you're the last person that uh, has it, then uh, you get the benefit of actually having a hard surface to take your notes on. So um, you have that there. But uh, Psalm 19 is where we're at today, and we are going to take a step forward. Anybody know Psalm 19? Anybody familiar with it? Has it may be in your own study, a few of you. It is a great psalm, one of my personal favorites. And so as we get to the end of this uh, year, end of the season, I thought this would be a great chapter of scripture to put before us. A great chapter of scripture to put before us as a church and for our own personal holiness. Because if we're to take a step forward as a church, it has to begin with personal holiness. A step forward as a church begins with personal holiness. But hasn't 2017 been an awesome year in the life of our church? Yeah, it has been. You know, we just launched. We've been at this for a a few months, and so we're still relatively new. But even this morning had a renewed sense of, man, God is at work among us. God is doing something that only he can do here and and through us. And yeah, we have setbacks. Yeah, we have things that maybe uh, um, that that attempt to to destroy us. But we get to do this and we get to be uh, a part of those that do the much for the blessing of the many and the glory of God. I hope it's been a great year even in your own life. 2017, just as you've reflected back, have you taken a chance to do that? Or you've been in, you know, just kind of go mode the last week or so? You had a chance to reflect? I would encourage you to do that. Take an hour or so of your time. Just reflect back on this past year, what God did in and through your life, how you're different today than uh, you were last year. We've seen God move all throughout 2017 from taking just a scattered uh, few people to then uh, having us gather at Easter time and weekly at Lighthouse, momentum increasing, uh, God's presence among us increasing, partners and provision waiting on that place. You remember back in June when we were praying and praying for 10 days and this place opened up for us to meet to launch in. We've seen God do some amazing things and answer our prayers, all the preparations, all the launch things that went into getting us here. And we have a great, great 
reason to be excited and motivated for what God is going to do among us. Because we're what's coming, what's on the horizon now? We got small groups coming, right? Ministry momentum is building, and it is all we're taking a step towards the Lord, a step forward. And so as we head into 2018, that needs to be on our mind as well. We need to take step forwards to, as a church to increase our gospel impact, but that also begins with our personal holiness by taking steps towards the Lord, growing in our faith, where we say Christ must increase and I must decrease, right? Like John the Baptist said. And so we're going to look to, like I said, Psalm 19 this morning to show us how. Let me read to you this uh, section. This is a commentary by Charles Spurgeon, and I thought he said it so eloquently, which only a you know, 19th century British preacher can do. But he says this about Psalm 19. He says, in his earliest days, the psalmist, that's David, while keeping his father's flock, had devoted himself to the study of God's two great books, nature and scripture. And he had so thoroughly entered into the spirit of these two only volumes in his library that he was able with a devout criticism to compare and to contrast them, magnifying the excellency of the author as seen in both. How foolish and wicked are those who instead of accepting the two sacred tomes and delighting to behold the same divine hand in each, spend all their wits in endeavoring to find discrepancies and contradictions. We may rest assured that the true vestiges of creation will never contradict Genesis. Nor will a correct cosmos be found at variance with the narrative of Moses. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them. My father wrote them both. Now you might be wondering like, what, what is that all about? Well, I think it'll be obvious now as we jump into Psalm 19. It, it really uh, breaks up into, uh, into three very distinct sections in the psalm. So look at it with me. You'll see there the first six verses you can mark. You can put maybe a bracket around it and say it's general revelation. In uh, uh, verses 7 to 11, you can put another bracket around it. There's special revelation. Or you can put uh, creation and scripture. And then 12 through 13 are about sin, those things that keep us from seeing God in both of those. And then verse 14 really goes with 12 and 13, but it's his final prayer there. And so Psalm 19 is our, is our guide today. Psalm 19 is what is going to take us a step forward in our personal holiness, in growing in the Lord. And so as we look here at verses 1 to 6, here's, here's our, our point that we must have an increased passion to worship. We must have an increased passion to worship. Because creation proclaims the glory of God, I must worship. Look at the verses with me. I want to read them for you. Say this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Again, these six verses are the book of creation. 
Rather, the, or we could say it's the preaching of creation. That's what verse 1 talks about. It says that the heavens declare or proclaim or preach the glory of God. And so as we look to the skies, we as believers, as we look up to the skies, they're kind of cloudy today out there, but as, even as you look to the, cloudless, uh, the cloudy skies or the cloudless skies or at night, as you see the stars and you see how majestic and how enormous and how mysterious they are, they are shouting like a fire up preacher, God exists. He is powerful. He is wise. He is good. Day by day, they proclaim these things. There's not a day that passes that is untrue. Do you see this in, in verse 2? He says, every day, it is pouring out this speech. Night after night is revealing this knowledge. There's no, it's not as if God took a break, but every single day, since God hung the stars and the sun in the heavens, they have proclaimed that God exists, God is powerful, God is wise, and he is good. And there's not a day that does not go by that we as humans, as we seek after the Lord, as we seek his glory, that we are even increasing in the knowledge of who God is. Scientists are learning more and more every day, and I, it, it, is a, uh, it is a sad state when they are learning those things and are not attributing it to the one with whom created them. But we learn about the intricacies, and in turn, this increases our worship, right? This increases our worship as we understand who God is and what he has made, this increases our worship. This message that is being preached, like I said, is called general revelation, right? And it transcends spoken language. Look at verses three and four. You see that? It says there's no speech. It's not, there's nothing audible coming out. There are not words. There's not a voice that is heard, but it is understood by everyone. It needs no translations from the tribal people to the most ancient tongues to our modern languages and our modern people. It needs no translation. It, 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 it transcends all of those things. It doesn't die. It transcends time as well. It's not as though it was once heard and now it's not understood. But every person to ever walk the face of the earth can understand these things, even with a bare knowledge of just how the world works, is pointing to a God who exists, a God who is powerful, a God who is wise, a God who is loving, a God who is always there. How could any of this come to be apart from a good, wise, and powerful, and good God? Every person since Adam has been able to understand this. And the reality is, is that when that's rejected, that's why people are condemned to an eternity separated from God in hell. These stars in the sky, the sun in the heaven, the creation is proclaiming the glory of God. Verses 5 and 6 here put on display, tell us about the most glorious display of that, of the glory of God. It's the sun, right? It's the sun, and then he has set a tent for the sun. The end of verse 4 says, so, so picture in your mind a sunrise. Picture in your mind, who's seen a beautiful sunrise, a memorable one? How many of you asked your wife to marry you at sunrise? You got her up really early? Am I the only one who did that? Dang it. Um, maybe you've had a date or something where, you, you know, you took her out. All you ladies are like, no way. I'm, I would never get up that early, right? I would never get up that early. But sunrises, we've seen a beautiful sunrise. Many of us can even picture that in our minds, even now, just how brilliant and how glorious and how majestic that uh, experience was. 
He says that this is, that the sun is, is like that. The sun is just proclaiming that. How all the scientific intricacies work with the sun, but it is, it is putting on display that this is God. This is who he is. And he says it's like a, a smiling groom. Notice that? How a bridegroom comes out of his chambers. Who's been at a wedding before and, and seen the groom when the bride is coming down? There is a special look that grooms have on their face, right? There is, a, there is a smile, there is a joy, there is a, a, a happiness that is incomparable to anything else as he sees his bride walking down. I mean, we, photographers try to capture that, right? They go out of their way to just capture that, that smile because it is unique, it is joy-filled, it is incomparable. So to the sun, but not also uh, only that, he also compares it to like a strong man, an athlete, right? A winning athlete, celebrating athlete after the championship, right? Who watched the Wisconsin and Miami game last night? A few of you? Did you see how Wisconsin, how, not, are any of you football fans? Anybody watch any football? No? Some of you are like, I went to bed early because Wisconsin was the night game. But after Wisconsin won, did you see the players, the, the joy and the exhilaration on their face after they won? They just poured themselves out. They just executed these plays. They had done all the, the work together to be victorious at the end. And now they are so happy, they are so exhilarated, that look on their face that you have when you win, that is the sun. David is comparing here the sun, those smiles, that joy, that exhilaration. He's saying that is what the sun is doing and is smiling for us, proclaiming this is God. This is our, our God who exists, our God who is powerful. That's what it's like. It's the rising from the end of the heavens. It's circuit. He's saying there's nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing hidden from the life-sustaining power and heat and light of the sun. Every single creature on this earth relies upon the sun in some form or fashion, lest we, what? Lest we die. You remove the sun, you remove life. And so, but, the, but here's the, the point here. The sun in all of its glory. Are we to worship the sun? Are we to worship creation? No, we're to worship the one who created it. We're to worship the one who is, has the greater glory. See, glory is just the byproduct. The sun and, and all, the, all of creation is just the byproduct that is, that is here, that is left behind proving that God exists. See, glory, that's exactly what glory is. Like, like the heat that we feel and from fire or the wetness that our, our hands feel from, from, uh, uh, from water, or the fragrance that we smell from cologne or perfume that points to fire's been here, water's been here, this person with this perfume has been here. It's that, the byproduct that is left. So too with glory is the byproduct when God is present. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. God, or Moses requested God, God, I want to see you. And God said, you can't see me, but I'll give you a glimpse of my glory. And so glory is what is, is there, what is the byproduct, what is, what is uh, left behind when God is there and in the room. That's why we, that's what we exist to do. We exist to glorify God and to have him here and glorified among us. And when God is present, what happens? Transformation, right? Our lives are changed when God is present. And that's what we want to happen as we worship God, as we hear God's word, as we are praying to the Lord, as we are sharing the good news. 
God is present, God is moving, and transformation happens, and God is glorified. For apart from him, we can't do any of that. And so what else can we do when we encounter the glory of God? What should be our response when we see a beautiful sunrise? When we learn something new about how the universe is held together? When we learn something about how the human body works? We worship those things? No, we worship the creator. This should increase our passion to to worship God. It, It should lead us to say, God, you are big and I am small. You are mighty and I am weak. And so let's make 2018 a year where we increase in our fervency to worship where this is what is, we are most passionate about, enough with, you know, the Christian games, enough with complacency, enough with just a nice, comfortable, cultural Christianity, but enough with just being passionate about everything else but the Lord. Can we make 2018 a year where we take a step forward in increased passion to worship? I think it will be the best year of our life if we do, where we lift high the name of Jesus, bowing low before the Father, worshiping in spirit and in truth as we are here gathered together collectively, but also individually in our own personal lives. That's the first book, the first book of creation that leads to an increased passion of worship when we understand the creator who created the world around us. But the second book here, the book of scripture or the preaching of the Bible is where we get into verse seven. And so let us have increased diligence in our Bible intake. Increased passion to worship and increased diligence in Bible intake. Because the Bible feeds my life, I must eat it. Because the Bible feeds my life, I must eat it. Look here at verses 7 and 11. I'm, uh, I'm going to read them for you, but I want you to notice the poetic pattern as we work our way through it. This is, this is beautiful. You're going to notice here this poetic language. It's going to give six names for scripture. It's going to give six uh, uh, things about its nature and the power of the book that we hold in front of us. God wrote this book. Now hear what this book says about itself. Referring to to the Bible, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Now, as you walk through that here, I just want to point out again, this isn't meant to be dissected. It's not like, okay, we're taking the law and that's referring to just the the laws of the Old Testament and here's the commands and all that. No, David is being poetic here and using different words to describe the same book, to describe the scriptures that we have here. It's meant to describe uh, these, these words that are desirable and tasty. Notice the nature. Notice what he says here. The law of the Lord is perfect, meaning it's without error. It's without false teaching 
teaching. It's sure, meaning it's guaranteed. It's proven over and over and over. It is right, meaning that it is correct. It is always the way to go. It is the straight and narrow path. He says it is pure, meaning that it is untarnished. It's undiluted. It's without excess. It is, it is pure in its form, but it's also clean, that's an odd thing to say of the, of the scriptures, right? It means that it's, it's unstained. It's without dirt or blemish. It's really kind of a reference to like the Old Testament priestly garments as they were clean and without blemish. That's how you came before the Lord. Well, God's word is always clean. It's unstained. It's been untampered uh, with. And lastly, it's true. Well, I hope that's the case, right? That seems without saying, but mean true meaning that it's reliable, it's stable, it's faithful. It's always right and it's never changing, but it is always true. What a beautiful thing to say about our scriptures, right? Do you have that understanding? Do you realize that that is what the book that you have before us, not just the chapter we're reading, but from Genesis to Revelation, that is true of our scriptures, but I want you to see something else. We've seen the names, we've seen the nature, but look at these 10 powerful truths about our Bible. This is so key for us to understand and to love here. Notice these things, beginning in verse seven, we're just gonna walk through these 11, or through these few verses down to verse 11. Notice that the Bible revives our soul. It revives our soul. Who's weary of soul? Who's, who's feeling worn out? Go to the scriptures for some reviving. Go to some scriptures for the rejuvenation. This is what it's saying here. When you come to the, the word, it's without error, it's without false teaching. It is going to put joy in your heart, it will say in a minute. Not only does it revive the soul, but it also gives wisdom. Who's at a crossroads or tea in the road? Who doesn't know which way to go? Who needs a little wisdom? Who has a decision to make in their family or in where I need to go to school or the next steps for my life or what I, what I need to do in my job? Here the scriptures make us wise. They also, here as I just referred to, it also puts joy in our heart. Who's feeling a little down? Who's feeling glum? Who's feeling uh, despondent or despairing? When we come to the scriptures and we see who God is, when we see God for what he's worth, when we see all that it is about him, it puts joy in our heart. How could we be satisfied with anything else? And it also, look at verse 8, it shows us the way. It says it enlightens our eyes. Not only does it give us wisdom on what is right and which way to go, but it also says, go this way. Don't do that. Go this way. It shows us the right way to go. Look at verse 9. The Bible is always relevant. It endures forever. It means it's unchanging. It means that it's not like, okay, that was good for those guys then, but now not so much. Times have changed, right? No, the God's word endures forever. It is always relevant. We don't need to tamper with it. We don't need to be clever with it. We don't need to look for hidden meanings because it is always relevant to our life and to the day in which we live. It will always have something to say for where we are in our life because it is always, look at what it says next, it is always right. They are righteous altogether. We know that the Bible is right. We know that it's true. They are always right. It wasn't like, okay, then it was wrong. Now it's right or there, then it was, no. 
God's word, when it says, when it, when it gives commands, when it says things about the Lord, what it teaches, it is always relevant and always right. Verse 10 here, it's more desired than gold. It is worth more than everything. You add up all the riches in the world today and that have ever been owned by anybody, God's word is worth more than all the material blessings, more than all the financial increase you could have. God's word is always worth more than everything. But it is also more satisfying than anything. Sweeter also than the honeycomb. Ever had sweet honey? Yeah? You ever had sweet honey? I've got some honey right here. Kate informed me that it might look like something else. <laughs> but I assure you, it is sweet honey. Just looking at it actually makes my taste buds go off, right? We can taste it. Like our, the senses in our taste buds send those signals to our brain saying, that's good, that's sweet, that's delicious. And that's what God's word is. It is more satisfying than even honey. Think of the sweetest thing that you've had. Think of the, the, the food that you crave the most. Maybe it's not anything even sweet. Maybe it's like, oh, I crave a really good juicy steak, right? Whatever you crave the most, whatever is most satisfying, whatever you, you find delight in, God's word is more satisfying than even that. It is eternally satisfying. All the tastes of honey, they come and they go. They're quick hit and then we need some more. But God's word is more satisfying than even that. Look here at the, at the next one. God's, the Bible is, or the Bible warns us of danger. Your servant is warned. When we come to the scriptures, it tells us things that we should not do, right? That's the part that we don't always like, right? That's sometimes why we avoid it because we're like, yeah, I know maybe that I shouldn't do that, but... But that's what God's word does. It's not meant to be rules that restrain us and keep us from having fun all the time. They're just meant to be rules that restrain us from getting into places that we don't want to be. God gives us the rules. God gives us commandments. God puts limits on how we live for our safety because he loves us. Don't go there. It won't go well for you. And so God's word warns us from getting into those things. And lastly, last the powerful truth is that the Bible rewards us for obedience. In keeping them, there is great reward. Does God honor those who honor him? Yeah, he does. Both here on this earth, you know, it's not always like, well, if I do this, you know, like if I put this money in the slot, then I get back these things. It's not always like that. God knows what's best for us, but he always rewards us according to his glory and his goodness and in his good pleasure for us. And that is good for us. And we know also like the end, right? Even if we don't see the, the reward here and now in the way that we would want it, we have the sure hope and reward of eternity with him. This is what our Bible is. Have you ever stopped to think about this? Have you ever just digested even one of these? There's, there's 10 things here. 
There's 10 uh, massive things that we've just kind of worked through really quickly here, but have you just taken time to just think about even one of these things? Where should I go when I'm down? Where should I go when I'm rejoicing? Where should I go when I don't know where to go? I should come to the scriptures because this is where God is, is speaking to me. God in his kindness and God in his wisdom left us a book. And so 2018 is a year where we have increased diligence in our Bible intake, in how we are are coming to God's word. One commentator, he said this, the Bible, we need all it teaches us, and it teaches us all we need to learn. God's, he's included it in here. God's word has everything that we need for life and godliness, Peter said. What else can make these claims in our life? What else can make these 10 powerful, truthful claims? Where else could we go for help like this? No doctor, no sports, no hobby, no food, no relationship. None of those things can provide the same level of care that God's word can because it is from God. And so the question is out there then, well, why don't we? Why don't we go to God's word? Well, here's the three diagnostic reasons. One is because we don't believe it, which is a head problem. We don't believe these things. Yeah, I made these claims, but I, you know, the Bible, I'm not, I'm not really so sure about it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. God help you to believe. Second, we, well, we don't want it. It's a heart problem. We don't desire God's word. We're just like, you know what, I... Yeah, I'm, I'm in this rut. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I don't know where to go. But you know what? I just, I don't want God's word. I don't want to know what he has to say about it right now. It's a heart problem. God, help you to want it. God, put a desire in your heart that only he can put there. And lastly, we just don't do it. Maybe we know it. Maybe we believe it. Maybe even we want to. But when it comes down to it, we just don't do it, which is a hand problem. We just aren't obedient in what God has called us to do. Yes, I know that I shouldn't look at those things. Yes, I know that I shouldn't go here. But I just don't do it. I know that I should be in God's word. I know it. I like it. Every time I go to it, I know that, uh, that I'm going to get something from it. But I just don't. I just don't make the time for it. I'm undisciplined. But whatever it takes... Whatever it takes, let's make 2018 a year of increased diligence in our Bible intake, taking a step forward, one step at a time. Don't just expect like, hey, I'm going over, you know, I'm going to become a super Bible reader and next thing I know I'm reading six hours a day. That's, that's not how it works, right? We take one step at a time. If you're sporadic in your reading, just become regular, Hey. Just become regular. If you would categorize yourself as I'm a regular uh, Bible reader, I'm a regular church attender, how we, how we intake God's word. So I use that. Let me just explain Bible intake. I'm not just talking about daily reading. That's part of it. But being in church, hearing God's word proclaimed, um, listening to sermons, being in small group, and whenever we're in God's word, we're intaking the Bible. We're feeding ourselves on it. Okay? If I'm just regular in those things, then let me bump it up to daily. Okay, let me bump it up to daily. And maybe you're already like, well, I do read my Bible daily. Well, how can you increase? How can you take the next step in increasing the time, the frequency, the fervency? Maybe it's not just uh, reading it and gaining head knowledge, but now it's a year of, I just need this because I want to grow in my love for the Lord. 
It's not just a mental exercise, but I want this to become a heart exercise as well, that as I'm reading, I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm, I'm seeing him for who he is and that is enlarging my love for God and his word. So how can we take that one step forward, right? It's like honey, isn't it? We crave it, and once you taste it, you want more, right? It's where it works like that, to where nothing else will satisfy. It's the sweetness of God's word that once we know it, when, when it has, we've experienced it, then when we get into a place, it just our heart sends a signal to our brain, to our hands that I got to be in here. What does God's word have to say about this situation? Where do I need to go? How can I, I need to just meet with the Lord here. I want more. I need more. I can't get enough. So we increase in our diligence in tasting it. But what keeps us from it? Look at verse 12. What keeps us from these things? What keeps us from both worshiping with passion and being diligent in our Bible intake? Because the underlying problem is this, that sin remains, right? Sin remains. And so this year, in 2018, let's have a year of increased aggression against sin. A year of increased aggression against sin because sin destroys my life. I must run from it. I must run from it must run from it. Notice here in these verses, I'm going to read the next two. Notice the downward destruction of sin in these verses. It begins with saying this, who can discern his errors? Declare me of in innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Note this. Sin left unchecked will always spiral downward. Sin left unchecked will always spiral downward in increasing severity in our life. And that's what he begins with because uh, by saying who can discern his errors because none of us truly knows the depths of the wickedness that we could stoop to. None of us knows it apart from the restraint and the goodness and kindness and grace and mercy of God. None of us knows where we could go, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, what does it say? That a heart is desperately wicked. And praise God for his mercy and his love towards us that we don't go down those ways. That's why I'm saying sin left unchecked will always take us downward. And this downward destruction of sin has three categories. It's like a storm, right? And the increasing categories mean that there's increasing destruction in our life and in the lives of those around us. And so look where he begins here. Category one, with hidden sins. Saying, declare me innocent from these hidden faults. Those things that are hidden from me, maybe that I'm blind to. I don't realize that they're, they're sinful yet. Or maybe they're just hidden from others as well. That you've become really good at, at hiding them and not talking about them with other people. These are those sins of mind and the heart where those perverse thoughts come to, where we're angry in our head, the voice in our head, the voice under our breath, those things that are hidden. It always begins there and left unchecked. Then it goes to what? To category two, presumptuous sins, right? Those sins, those things that we know about, we just don't care to check. Those things that we know that are, going to, uh, that are going to destroy us, but we're going to take the risk anyways. They've been pointed out, but we've rejected the counsel. Maybe even we've been convicted by them, but we're just suppressing them like a spring, just suppressing them down so we don't have to deal with them. 
until what? Until that spring goes off and, and everything just goes helter-skelter. It's category two. Left unchecked, it'll go to category three, to enslaving sins. It says, let them not have dominion over me. Might call it a different way, enslaving sin, a life-dominating sin. Something that is, has control over your life. Psychology would call it an addiction. The Bible would call it enslavement. Romans 6 and other places. It's those, those things that have such a grip on our life. They, they control us that we can't shake it. We, can't, uh, we, we just got to have more that we've succumbed to and we've suppressed that conviction of it so much that it is just it is enslaving. It controls us. It is now our master. And so this, that, in that uh, category, it causes the most destruction, not only in your own life, but in other lives and in, in everybody around you, that this is what controls your life. So those things that become a part of our identity, right? Those things that are attached to who he is or who she is when we're enslaved by him. It's that path, right? The path through these categories, it's the path that begins with maybe just a lustful thought and a second glance to then we're looking at illicit websites to then when it becomes habitual trips and daily forays and into adulterous relationships. That's the path through those categories. It's the path from just jealous and prideful thoughts here to then where we're boasting and belittling to when we become angry and approachable and isolated and nobody is around us. We're just in anger hate-filled, isolated person. It's the path from where we just have, you know, an occasional drink over here to where it's, you know, it's just whatever, to then where I need it. I have it, I just have it on weekends. It's uh, after long days to where I can't function without drinking this. It is controlling my life and I can't shake it. To drunken stupors, to just like, I have to have this every day after work. Maybe you're not going to the point of intoxication, but it's, it, is a, it, is, it is something that is, I have to have this or I can't function. I can't get through the day to then where it's just you waking up and you're tipping it back. That's the path here of sin. Left unchecked, our sin, and that's just three examples. I mean, there's oodles of examples, but our sin will always go that. And so what must we do? We must stop the sin in its tracks, Right? We must check it. We must flee from it before it destroys us. And so as, as we move into 2018, as you, as you take stock of your life, we need to have an increased aggression against sin and properly assess with humility, what category is this in? Where do I need to check it? What help do I need? Let's make 2018 a year where we aren't afraid to confess it, where we aren't afraid to be held accountable, where we want scripture and worship and the, God, the grace and goodness and glory of God to expose it for us that we might run from it. Because this doesn't have to identify us. It doesn't have to control us. But when we encounter the holiness of God, it shines light on our sin and God in his kindness, he what? He provides a way out. And that's what we're after, right? So it's time to wage war. Time to wage war against our sin as we move into 2018. Passionate in our worship, diligent in our Bible intake, increasing aggression against our sin. And when these things are happening in our life, right? In increasing measure, when these things are happening in increasing measure, that's when we can say, like David in verse 14, notice how it ends. You probably maybe even are familiar with it. 
He says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can that be our prayer? Can that be your prayer for your spiritual growth, your spiritual life for 2018? Something maybe that you pray each day, something that you put on a note card, have in your truck, something maybe that you put as a reminder on your phone that pops up today that reminds you of these three things. God, I want to be a man or a woman who is passionate after you, who delights in your word, who is increasingly hating and fighting against the sin that entangles us. And if that is our prayer, you'll be taking a step forward toward Christ reaping the reward of a life that's connected to him, more passionate for him, more in love with the Lord. And it'll be a year of unparalleled spiritual growth in your life. It'll be a year that when you come to this time next year, that you will be able to, with confidence, say, I am a different person and I'm more like Jesus today than I was then. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want, to be increasing in our Christ-likeness? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what, as we, as we come to meet with the Lord, isn't it that what we want, right? Give me an amen if that's true. Come on, somebody. Like, that's something that we want, right? So these are the things, these increased things. As we move into 2018, if we want to see anything happen in our church, if we want to see anything happen in our life, we need to be increasing in our holiness, increasing in our love for the Lord. May God see that happen in our life. And so, that's how the chapter ends. That's God's word uh, read and proclaimed for you, the glory of God. But what does this mean for our church? And so I just want to take a few minutes now and kind of take a deep breath. Okay. Um, but uh, I want to uh, just lay out some things as we uh, have a little bit more time. So bear with me. Shake it out if you got to. Stand up if you need to or whatnot. But I just want to take a moment here now. So what does this mean for our, our church? Where are we going in 2018, right? We've been meeting for three months, and God in his goodness has uh, done the things that he's done here and among us, and we have a great year ahead uh, for us. And so where are we going? What's happening uh, with our church? Well, there's a lot of specific things that we're still waiting on the Lord. But, uh, and, and even as we lay out plans like this, we need to uh, be mindful of what Proverbs 16, 9 says, right? That the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? And so we're planning our way. We're, we're heading forward. And so what do we want to be true of us? What are some goals? What are some initiatives? What are some things that we want for 2018? Well, first, um, it goes even in line with what we just talked about, is we want increased passion in our worship, Increased passion in our worship. But one of our pillars, as you know, is unashamed adoration or unashamed worship. That we want to lift high the name of Jesus through worship. That as we gather, we want to worship in spirit and in truth. And so as you are growing as passionate worshipers, we want to be uh, more passionate even here in our church. And so we're, we want to actively add to our worship team. And so if you are gifted in that way or you know other uh, musicians or singers, we want to uh, increase our passion here as we worship together as a church. Um, that worship isn't just singing, but it's also the, uh, the preaching of God's word. Everything that we do in the service is about worship. And so I'm working to improve my preaching as well. I have a preaching improvement plan. I want to be uh, clear and simple and urgent as I open up God's word and to just uh, let God's word speak. And so I want to improve in that as well. And just the elements that we include in God's word or in, in the service from God's word, we want to increase our passion in our worship. Second, we also want to increase our fervency in prayer. 
This is a, another one of our pillars, right? We believe firmly in the power of prayer. We've seen as our church, we've seen God answer in ways that only he can do big, bold prayers. And it's really, uh, it's actually been something that I've been convicted about because even in these last few months as we've been in the, the, just the race of getting launched, getting used to our space, doing these things, is that we haven't had any prayer initiatives. And that's, that's on me for not leading well in that. And so as we move here into 2018, is we're going to have many prayer initiatives again. We're going to bring back our prayer walks, something that we did uh, every other month through our core group phase, where we just encourage everybody to, uh, on the last weekend of the month, to uh, take some time to walk as a family around your neighborhood, just praying uh, for the people there, praying for God to uh, use you as a light in that community and to pray for one another. Uh, we're going to have other uh, initiatives of praying for our, our coworkers, our neighbors, uh, nights of prayer in our, our small group, weeks of prayer and things like that. And so we want increased fervency and dependency in our prayer life. Third, increased boldness in our witness. It's another one of our, prayer, our pillars. You noticing this? right? We want to share the good news of Jesus with boldness. And so I want to equip you to be invitational. I want to equip you to be, uh, uh, to, to, uh, be able to reach your friends and family members, those that uh, maybe have uh, uh, put you off for many years. We want to be intentional with that. And so we'll have different uh, things even in the month of January. You know, uh, uh, it's a new year. Maybe you're looking for a new church home. Uh, as we come, approach Easter, but we want to be uh, bold and diligent in our witness. And so what th that is also going to happen with our preaching, just so you know, our preaching calendar in January, um, we're going to have just a, a basics, our DNA of uh, who we are as a church. And so it'll be good to rally all of us, even those that have been around for a while that maybe can recite our pillars and our mission statement. But in January, we're going to have uh, this, uh, we're going to come back to God's word and what God's word has to say about these things. After Easter, anyone know when Easter is? It's April 1st. Um, but uh, for the month of April, we're just going to have an Essentials of the Faith sermon series. So we bring people in. Maybe they're just curious. What is this all about? Jesus and faith and the Trinity and how prayer works and those things. And so we're going to have some strategic sermon series to help us uh, bring and, and uh, invite friends who maybe are curious about those things. So pretty basic stuff. You're like, yeah, well, I hope we're increasing in that. Well, what about some more specific things? Well, we want to increase our care through small groups. And so the care of our church, we say that we're not just a church with small groups, but we're a church of small groups. And so we're super excited as these are forming to launch them officially, not this coming week, but the week after, so um, the week of January 7th is when our small groups fully kick off. So if you haven't been a, uh, able to sign up or you don't know a night of the week, there are some cards uh, that lay those things out right as you're leaving our worship center after the service. I'd love to talk with you about that and, and uh, see which one might be the best fit for you. But we're launching those and, uh, and want you to be a part of it. But also want you to think of who can you invite to join you with it. Small groups are an integral part, right? It's the other side of the coin of our spiritual corporate life together. And so <laughs> worship service on Sunday, small groups work together. And so we are launching those to increase our care and our shepherding of you and your spiritual growth through small groups. Another specific exciting thing that goes with that is, you know, we're a part of the Great Commission Collective. And so there 
there are uh, four of us churches here in Texas, one in Austin, one in San Antonio, one in Houston, and us here. And so we have an opportunity here in 2018 to bring on a biblical soul care uh, uh, pastor. He'll live in Austin and uh, attend Radiant Church there, um, but, uh, but it's for the benefit of all of our churches to help uh, uh, not just counsel in you know, very uh, maybe intense situations, but also to equip our small group leaders to teach courses, to be a consultant and a resource as you are doing the work of counseling and meeting in small groups together. Um, he's a great guy um, and uh, very experienced in these things and a native Texan. He's currently in Canada and he wanted a piece out from the cold. And so he's uh, coming to join us. Uh, a great guy. So um, I'll keep you up to date on that, but he's coming to equip and train and counsel uh, here and among us. Uh, next is we we're going to uh, have increased leadership through elders and staff. And so we have some goals here, 2018. Um, you know, we're an elder-led church. And so our prayer is that God would be raising up men to fulfill this role in this office of elder, which is a pastor and a overseer, a shepherd, all these things. And so uh, as 2018 goes, we're going to be looking to identify and to train and assess who God might be calling and raising up to fulfill those offices and so at some point, I mean, that'll be a long process, but our hope is that maybe sometime next fall, we would, uh, that God would be kind to raise up those men to do that and, uh, and to lead, help lead our church in that right now. You know, I'm uh, our elder here, and uh, we have two others that are part of our San Antonio church as well as we've been planted. And so they are obviously very limited. They're elders there in what they can do here. And so the goal and the plan all along has been to them to help us get off and launch and then God to raise up so we can have an easy transition into that. So that'll be a really exciting uh, uh, moment when God does that. Um, also, I just say through staff. So we're not at a place to where we can bring on any full-time staff or anything, but God in his kindness has uh, uh, potentially brought some uh, interns, some pastoral interns that will help us um, uh, launch and to, um, to train up in strategic areas of ministry like student ministry and whatnot. And so we are, are uh, um, talking with some other young guys that have been trained and maybe gone to Bible college and whatnot that could move here, uh, get a part-time job, but also also to work here and train up and be among us and uh, function as a pastoral intern, get them uh, uh, some, uh, uh, some experience to raise them up, maybe as we'll see as God brings them up, but also help uh, me in just the daily leadership and needs and, uh, of our church. And so excited for that as God adds to us here in 2018. So uh, we need leaders worth following, right? And thankfully, we have many of you who are sitting before me who lead in strategic ways in our church, completely volunteer, and we are so grateful that when God raises up a church worth imitating, needs leaders worth following, right? That's what we saw from First uh, Thessalonians. And lastly, here, we want 2018 to be a year of increased mission through church planting. We're a church planting church, right? That's what we're about. That's our heartbeat. This is how we fulfill the Great Commission is through church planting where disciples are made. And so we have uh, two great opportunities. One, to continue partnering with the church plant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here in the U.S., but also joining up with our Texas churches in supporting our church plant uh, from a couple years ago in Cap Rouge, Haiti. And so we, we want to join them to come along to be a fourth church in supporting uh, that uh, church specifically where God is doing some great things uh, just a month 
month ago. They had nine baptisms in one morning. God's just uh, doing a great work through Pastor Antoine there. And uh, so we, we want to jump in, um, in these, uh, for the next couple years to help them. There may be mission trip opportunities and things that come as we uh, support them and uh, pray for them and, uh, and, and stay connected to them. And so this is what it's all about. And then as other opportunities uh, arise within our collective, our hope is to be a part of church planting even here in our central Texas region and uh, uh, even plans to plant uh, from a, a guy in uh, San Antonio um, who's we're looking to plant in, in uh, um, Corpus Christi and other places. And so just looking for strategic opportunities like that. And so we want a year of increased mission in uh, church planting. So does that get you excited? Like God's got some good things. And so we're just going to continue to pray faithfully and see how God uh, moves in our church in these ways, big picture. But also what I'm most excited about is to see what God is going to do in your life. 2018 could be our best year yet in our spiritual growth. And so as we, uh, as we transition now out of this, you're like, okay, Blair, I'm done. I'm ready to stop hearing from you.